part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. This is part two of our season five, episodes seven through nine coverage of The Crown. If you're looking for part one, go back one episode. Is what Martin Bashir did to get that interview with Diana inappropriate? What decisions should heads of programming have made in regards to the Panorama interview? And is episode nine just a sad version of when Harry met Sally? We'll answer those questions and more on this review of The Crown, season five, episodes seven through nine, in our spoiler-filled edition of Podcast Willibit, which begins now. We're covering the most recent season of The Crown. Make sure that you've watched it before you listen. You've been warned. Wheel has landed on what about William? Um, this is the episode where I think where I was getting more at where I felt like he seemed a little bit like Charles when he would like cut kind of cut Diana off, which you know I'd have been the same way if I'd have been a kid and my mom was telling me about a new guy. I'd be like, I don't want to know about this. I really don't want to know about this, Mom. Can can we talk about something else or can I just go? you know be me for five minutes uh i don't know uh we've have have already talked about william a lot so if there's anything else that anybody wants to say feel free to do so here and if not we'll we'll spin the wheel again um well i like that that very uh introduction uh scene with uh, William and uh, the queen where they were talking about the television and and you know he was encouraging her to get something new and uh, I, one of my favorite lines here was uh when she said even the televisions are metaphors in this place mm. <laughs> <laughs> i really like that and then um oh, one other little detail i'd like to mention is that um oh there was a particular you know one of the great things about the crown is that they have all these wonderful actors that sometimes come in and play little bit parts and so forth. And um, I noticed uh, the uh, actor who they had coming in and playing the uh, professor at Eton um, is an actor by the name of Blake Ritson. And for anybody who is a um, fan of uh, Jane Austen and the uh, dramatic adaptions of Jane Austen, they'll be familiar with him. He's played both uh uh, villains and romantic leads in some of those. So, anyways, he pl was playing the role of uh, the professor, and they showed him kind of in the background as William was uh, watching the interview with Diana and um, in some additional reading that I had done uh, after the episode. Uh, it was noted that this particular professor was someone that I guess was fairly close to both uh, William and Harry when they were at Eton and that he had uh, taken William uh, aside and watched that interview with him so that he wouldn't be alone when they 
it was going to be something that was kind of controversial that was going on. Fascinating. Okay, I didn't know that at all. So that's that's wild. Uh, you mentioned a moment with grandmother that was your favorite. Let me. Can I put this one out there? Uh, the fact that she's more worried about what the satellite dishes will look like up on the on on the. <laughs> on the palace of the, of the royal palace uh this is the kind of thing uh that a grandmother worries about N not whether she'll get better tv or not but how will those can we hide the satellite dishes that's that's right. the important thing i loved that uh baba any last thoughts on william no love the portrayal love that we now know he's dominic west's son and, uh, you know, I'm talking about, do you notice any traits from the mom or the dad in him? I'm looking at traits now to see, has he got any McNulty in him? <laughs> got any of his dad's <laughs> acting tricks in him? So I'll be ah. watching very close in episode 10. Yes, there you go. There you go. Bum, 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 bum. We have another important debate. The only debates that we can talk about. When it comes to the uh, differences between uh, Marmaduke and John Burt, how should they have um, set up this uh, this programming for the panorama interview in light of what they did do? Papa, I'll give you dibs. Okay. The BBC, and now I'm an American, I could mess this completely up, but the BBC is paid for by British in United Kingdom tax members, right? It's not paid by commercials. It's not something where you have to chase ratings and eyeballs to get the ad rates uh, to be expensive enough to where you can uh, afford this expensive operation of running a news bureau and a, a worldwide news bureau. So in this particular case, the way it should be done is the way the show implied it was done. The news director always makes the call not the suit the news director the journalist and so in this case it was handled perfectly well marmaduke get back to the funny pages leave this to the journalist that's how it should be done case closed okay next episode no wait matt you get to talk to all right let's hear <laughs> i can't believe you would diss auntie like that i mean this is like just it's practically it's practically just, you know, like slaughtering a family member. If it were not for the Royal Charter, the BBC would not exist to be able to soak up taxpayer money. I mean, the taxpayers are so worried about the yacht. Why do they want to fund something that is is taking up all of these space with silly, frivolous tabloid information letting some girl destroy auntie on national television getting world attention against auntie's beloved son who i guess in this instance metaphorically would be Andrew? cousin oh. <laughs> and so that is uh you know cousin charles does not deserve this and therefore it is very possible that you have just killed auntie with this decision. How do you feel now? Well, you have uh, a response. <laughs> yeah. God save the queen. And he did. She survived. <laughs> so it obviously didn't kill her. God wouldn't have to save the queen 
if the BBC had not run that darn interview. You know what? You can watch something else. I'm pretty sure there's something called Channel 4 there. ITV. Yes, ITV4. I'm sure they were showing. I'm sure they were showing. By the way, they were the ones who showed. It was ITV who were the ones who showed Charles's little thing with Dimpleby. Right. And it always had so many commercial breaks. It was brutal to watch. (laughs) Charles, how do you feel about this? Well, I'll tell you, right after this ad for British Soap. Don't forget Benny Hill at 10. Benny Hill. Exactly. If they had played the Benny Hill theme during Charles's interview, would have gone over great. Not 50%, but 100% approval ratings. They needed to play the Benny Hill overview over Diana's interview or under Diana's interview because they were killing Auntie. Oh. Here are your history notes for Season 5, Episode 8, Gunpowder. Marmaduke, Dookie Hussey, was appointed the chairman of the BBC in 1986 upon the death of Stuart Young, thanks in part to close connections to the ruling Conservative Party. He served two terms in the role until 1996. Source, Wikipedia. John Burt served as Director General at the BBC from 1992 to the year 2000. His roles included overseeing the BBC's involvement with online and digital services and restructured further by separating broadcasting and commissioning. His reforms and management style were unpopular among staff, but he is credited with securing the BBC's future in the digital era with a favorable charter and license fee settlement. Source, BBC Research. The royal charter that Dookie refers to is a document that must be redrawn over a period of time to keep the BBC in operation. The charter referred to in this episode actually refers to the 1997 charter, which was negotiated and approved in May of 1996. Sources, the BBC and parliamentary publications. Guy Fawkes Night, also known as Guy Fawkes Day, Bonfire Night, and Fireworks Night, is an annual commemoration observed on the 5th of November, primarily in Great Britain. It commemorates the date in 1605 when Guy Fawkes, a member of the Gunpowder Plot, was arrested while guarding explosives the plotters had placed beneath the House of Lords. The Catholic plotters had intended to assassinate Protestant King James I and his Parliament. Celebrating that the king had survived, people lit bonfires around London, and months later, the observance of the 5th of November Act mandated an annual public day of thanksgiving for the plot's failure. Source, Wikipedia. The 67th Royal Variety Performance occurred on November 20th, 1995. It was hosted by Des O'Connor and featured Carol Kenyon, Bruce Forsyth, Alan Stewart, Robson and Jerome, and the Pendragons, to name a few. It aired on ITV on November 25th, five days later. Source, Wikipedia. The Panorama interview was filmed on November 5th, 1995, and aired 15 days later on November 20th. 
In addition to Bashir, Panorama producer Mike Robinson and the cameraman, Tony Poole, were also present. The program did air on the same night of the Royal Variety performance and the night of Elizabeth and Philip's wedding anniversary. Source, Wikipedia, and math. It is absolutely time to check in with our feedback because we got lots of feedback to discuss this week. We've got some great YouTube comments. We are going to go through all of the reviews. Why are we doing all of this? Because all of these people are included in our contest, including any feedback that we've received or read on the podcast this season, covering season five. So you're all entered into the contest. Remember, you must submit feedback by February 6th of 2023 in order to be included in our contest so we want to hear from you we want to hear from you tweet to at little bit pod send emails to matt's audio blog at gmail.com leave comments on the double p media youtube by the way hit subscribe and like and and hit that bell yo as our friend john likes to say uh for all you youngsters on the youtubes just do that uh, get your notifications because double p media is going to be having all kinds of great programming content all throughout the year, and you're going to want to hear what Bubba and Catfish have to say before you hear anybody else say anything. That is for certain. Uh, Bubba, do you want to help me go through some of this feedback real quick? Yeah, Matt, let's roll. All right. Uh, let's start uh, with, uh, I guess it was last week's YouTube, where we were talking about the revenge dress, and we wondered the fact that she knew that the interview was coming, because it, the dress happened on the same day or whether it was something else that triggered the revenge dress. And uh, Marsha Mariner, that's Marsha, 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 uh, Marsha Mariner's 7897 said that uh, it, maybe it was just revenge for what Charles did to her in order to show him up. Now, Susan, I know that you have many regrets about all of the terrible things you said in last week's podcast. Is there <laughs> anything you want to say addressing this? Uh, yes, I just uh, I had uh, done some reading after we had our conversation, and what we were kind of contemplating was was it a revenge dress in relation to his interview that was upcoming? Because if the interview hadn't played yet, how would she know what he was going to say in it? Or was it a response to the article about uh, the conversation between him and Camilla? And what I did find out in doing a little further reading about this revenge dress was that um, there had been some articles, uh, information that had leaked out about what was going to be in Charles's interview. So she had kind of a heads up about what was going to be said. And that was part of what spurred her uh, taking this particular point and going out that night to this this event and showing up in a very stunning dress to just be kind of like you know i could care less type of attitude so shout, it, shout out to they might be giants it was prevenge it was prevenge <laughs> there you go now now susan i was wrong but you are the one who's getting fired so as you leave this podcast do you have any <laughs> other considerations that you need to make uh, or, or apologies that you need to make for distributing false information, yeah, fake yeah. news on this podcast. 
That's right. Feedback from for, for the last week's episode. Yes. Um, uh, in uh, looking back over and thinking about uh, what I had to say when I was talking about all that history in relation to uh, Windsor Castle, I was talking about Edward III, one of the medieval kings quite a bit. And I said that he was the one that had the famous nickname of Longshanks, but actually I was wrong. That was that was Edward the first, not Edward the third. So I thought I'd better clear that up. So fired, you will be fired effective <laughs> March 1st of 2029. March 1st, 2029 <laughs> shall be your last day. So All right. uh, you know, just just beware. Get your get your get your stuff together at your drawer and and get ready to get rid of it thank you for for correcting that information susan i really appreciate uh you showing us the light because i wouldn't have known the difference one way or another for the rest of my life but thanks to you i do now and can't well i didn't yeah i didn't want you to have to you know worry about getting tons of of uh, mail about that particular issue <laughs> now bubba we have a great double l Loyal listener, that's right. Yes, we've got Donut Buzz Cut on YouTube. Donut Buzz Cut has given great feedback on multiple shows we cover on Double PHQ, and so let's read this from him. Donut Buzz Cut says, "Episode two of The Crown makes it look like Prince Philip had just stopped playing polo and started carriage driving when he had actually started in 1972, and he'd been at it for almost 20 years by that point in time." Also, Donut Buzzcut points out that Andrew Morton and Dr. James Colthurst first met in 86 when Princess Diana visited a hospital Colthurst worked at. And according to Andrew Morton, Colthurst's bicycle, which you were so interested in, Matt, it was knocked over not just on any street, but by the House of Parliaments. And it was Morton's work office that was trashed in the idea that ooh, maybe somebody's trying to get these tapes. Not I was home. wrong. I called it an apartment, Bubba. Mm. I was I called it an apartment. I apologize, Donut Buzzcut. Thank you for the correction. I am now fired. Bubba, the podcast is yours. See ya. Sweet Gav says, uh, like like the, the work that we're doing with the videos. Said great. The camera angles were a great move. Bubba's been using that camera angle since I've known Bubba to use cameras at all. Uh, but I recently adapted simply because of the way my furniture is and then as far as placement on screen goes uh i'm an amateur uh but hopefully you like the way that we've formatted the show a little bit uh really appreciate the comment uh by the way he does uh his own youtube sweet gav so go check him out if you wish uh does unboxings of things like xboxes and things like that unboxing an xbox that's a tongue twister. we needed an unboxing video of Queen Elizabeth getting that uh, cable system, that satellite system, like, oh, <laughs> look at this. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> and then immediately handing the remote to William saying, how do you do this? Uh, we have gotten lots of podcast reviews over the last year as well, which I have neglected to read. So we have included you all in these contests as well. Uh, Bubba and I are just going to hit these real quick, one right after the other. Uh, Bubba, you start. I'll do second and we'll go on from there. No, wait, I'll start. You go second. Uh, so I'm starting with The Matrix, uh, and this one is just from uh, last year and in, in November saying another hit. Listened before the latest season of The Crown and had such a good time. Heart emoji. And the music coverage adds an extra layer of depth. Thank you. Uh, great podcast ensemble. Highly recommended. Thank you so much. The Matrix. 
We got a great review from Miss Susie. Miss Susie also gave us five stars. Thank you so much. Miss Susie wrote great research on The Crown, one of the best entertainment review podcasts that I have ever listened to. Good cast, great games, knowledgeable information. I like this. There aren't many episodes, yet they're full of entertaining conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you, Miss Susie. Santa Claus, Indiana says it would have been five stars but instead was four, but the double nonsense became unbearable. Please consider dropping it before the next set of episodes. The rest is quite good. Well, I've managed to fail on that. Uh, you know, and, and it's not, it's not that the doubles are bad Santa Claus. It's actually just that I overuse them. That's the problem. So you're right. I should tail back. Uh, other than that, when catfish and I do a podcast, it's nothing but doubles. And that can be really, <laughs> really bad. Uh, as Bubba will tell you, uh, according to his numbers. But thank you very much for that review. We also got a great five star review from Naomi Burton with an episode with a review titled "Thank God." More recaps coming! Exclamation point! It's like listening to the Algonquin Roundtable explain the crown. Well done, you boy! That is so kind of you to say. Thank you so much. Yes, and Joey fifteen seventeen eighty five also gives five stars, saying. Best Crown podcast available. Just started watching The Crown, and I love to watch the show, then listening to the thoughts and insights after the fact, and Lilibet does just that. I can't believe the lack of podcasts for the show with how popular it is. Any looking for insights, discussion, and more show, definitely check out this podcast. Thank you so much, Joy151785. Man, Excellent. we should quit while we're ahead. These are such great reviews. These it's all downhill really from reviews. here. Yeah, yeah. I noticed they're all from before I ever joined in. No, don't you say that. They haven't had time. Just, just imagine how many more we'll get saying, Susan, dump the other two guys and do your own podcast. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure that's what most group. of them are going to be. Uh, yeah. That's probably so. At any rate, we do have lots of polls to get through. So let's get through these real quick. We had a lot of debate questions last week or in the last two episodes. Was Philip in his rights to ask Elizabeth to befriend Penny? This has happened before, but it's never happened before. 100% of you said no. Was the end of season five, episode five, too triumphant for Charles? 66.7% of you said yes. Something else that's never happened before. Well, except for the fact that it happened last week. After talking to Penny, was Elizabeth crying? She never cries, of course. Out of relief that nothing was going on between Philip and Penny? Or out of sadness that she thought there was something going on between them? We had a tie. It's never happened before, except for when it happened last week. 50% of you said it was out of relief. 50% of you said it was out of sadness. And finally, perhaps the most important question that we asked and debated last week, if you're Boris Yeltsin, scotch or vodka, both, or should have been a teetotaler? And it came back with 40% vodka, which got the most votes, but both and teetotaler also tied with 30% of the vote. Scotch got 0%. We're up to season five, episode nine, Couple 31, written by the only person who seems to write any episodes this season, and that would be the showrunner, 
directed by the one name that everybody hates when I try to pronounce Christian Shao Chow, Shua Chow, Shao Ku. I think if I said it in a native language, it would actually be Shua Ku. Uh, never mind. Here's your 64 second recap. It's all about divorce as we see the day-to-day operations of divorce proceedings through one particular court and several cases of couples expressing why they wish to dissolve their marriages. Speaking of which, Elizabeth writes to Charles and Diana and tells them that she will not fight them getting divorced themselves and informs the church and state of the same. Diana has lost her heart, surgeon, and Charles will have lost a great deal of money if Diana has her way. Don't worry, Mama is paying for it. Camilla has gained unwanted house reporters and a spin doctor named Mark Boland, while John Major has gained a new job as mediator to the divorce and a domestic coolness within his own home. The Prime Minister ends up mediating successfully thanks in part to Boland advising Charles and Camilla. Papers are signed, but shortly afterwards Charles comes to Diana and together they have a meal and try to make sense of it all before things blow up again. We get a little double S, stamp symmetry between Elizabeth at the beginning and the courts at the end as couple 31, Charles and Diana, are officially pronounced divorced by the judge. Somebody give that wheel a spin. Big money, big money, no whammies. Ooh, here we go. It's a question about Princess Diana and the divorce. It's what is the right amount of money that Diana should get in a divorce. Now, I'm not great on the conversion rate of dollars to pounds, but I would say just uh, looking at it, she's got to have a huge uh, uh, divorce settlement. She's going to have a security system, needs a security system like you wouldn't believe with the Pravarazzi, the uh, people who probably uh, uh, would you know want to get close to her and her children and her family. So, I know Charles complains about it so much in this episode, but it has to be it has to be astronomical. And when you hear those 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 numbers in this episode, it sounds astronomical, but in in the back of my head I was listening to it thinking, yeah, it's probably that's probably about right. Did you guys have any thoughts and or can you do the conversion of dollars to the British pound of now, what it should be. This is at today's exchange rate, Bubba, but it is, <laughs> would convert to $43,098,125. Uh, so that's a lot of money, but it's less than Brett uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers would make next year or, or that he made this year. So, Well, I say we make Aaron Rodgers live with prince charles for a bit and see how that goes excuse me yeah King i charles. bet he would demand a lot more than just 50 million dollars if that were the case now was the conversion you were doing for her the settlement of 17 million or her original asking of 35 million the, the original asking of 35 million is what i was okay. uh so uh yeah the, the 17 million would only be about 20 20 million maybe somewhere in there I like how you said the word only. My goodness. These these are astronomical numbers. You're a rock star again, like me, Bubba. This is nothing. Hey, heck yeah. All right. Finally, the <laughs> truth. Did it make you think less of her that she was asking for so much? In you know, more than anybody listening to this podcast. Oh, well, or, dude, let's consider you know, what let's consider what settling for $17 million in 1997 is as compared to now. That's kind of like settling for about what, probably about 28 29 million dollars in today's world 
So uh, that's that's a lot of money to settle for. But uh, if you're if you're considering a one time settlement and then the four hundred thousand pound stipend, that's not that much for someone who has is, is basically required to live that kind of lifestyle just to keep herself safe from the rest of the public. Uh, you brought up some of those points earlier. I don't think that that's a ridiculous ask. I didn't feel any less about her. Did you, Susan? No, I didn't. And and quite frankly, when we get into such large sums of money, I, I, it becomes kind of unrelatable for me anyway. So I just kind of just I kind of gaze glaze over at this type of thing. It could could have been, you know, uh, 17 million or we could have been talking about, you know, today. It seems like we are always throwing around billions of dollars for people. So it didn't seem like an astronomical amount, but uh, it's also kind of hard to relate. Right. If it was today, she'd get half of it in Bitcoin. So it's real good that it's oh, not. Oh, boy, today. she'd be in bad shape then, wouldn't she? Like I said, I, I don't think there there would be, I would have any issue with that kind of money being given to her. Sir, I certainly don't think any less of her because you made some excellent points in the kind of lifestyle that she basically is required to leave in order to keep her, to lead in order to keep herself safe. When you're Princess Diana, you don't fall out of the limelight ever. So uh, the uh, one-time stipend, uh, one-time settlement, and then the stipend, uh, I feel was fair. Did you feel it was fair? Again, it it, it just seems, like Susan said, unknowable. I, you couldn't know what it would really be like to live like that. And I do wonder, I mean, yes, you're going to spend a lot on security and travel and these kind of things. But I would think there's got to be a way that you can do it for less than that. Well, but and again, you take I, into the yeah, and you take into the fact that she's still getting to keep her well secured home at Kensington Palace as well. Right. Uh, so uh, that's not so much the issue if she wants to live there for the rest of her life. Do you really want to live around Margaret? Well, what's and all the of those mor- other what's, what's the what's the mortgage on Kensington Palace? What's the HOA fee? I mean, holy smokes. I mean, this is, this is a lot of money. Let's be honest. Holy smokes. Well, and, and I mean, it's not like it's coming out of Charles's pocket anyway, because uh, in 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 this episode, uh, Mama says she's going to pay the stipend. So it's kind of like, you know, right? In the, when she says uh, on the phone call, I think she says that she's transferred the money and all of this stuff. So it's not costing, yeah. it's not costing him anything. And when he was complaining about it to Camilla, he was talking about the uh, Duchy of Cornwall or something like that, right. which I, I wasn't even familiar with that. So I, I looked that up and apparently that's uh, ad- an additional like a uh, title and uh, income that Charles gets from a particular part of the uh, of England as the uh, crown prince. See, for me, all the title stuff, because she got to keep Princess of Wales, Mm -hmm. but she was no longer allowed to use her royal majesty, I believe. Her royal highness? Her royal highness. Pardon me. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, HRH. HRH. Yeah. She had to drop the HRH. Um, So, I I mean, yet you're still a princess. I don't get it. Well, that had been a big, big contention for, um, yeah, for David Edward. Yeah. Yeah. For, for his wife, she wanted, it was a big contention all of their life because she really wanted to have that HRH as part of her title and they refused to give it to her. So apparently, you know, that's just for the very 
Well, they didn't even give her the Duchess title at first, did they? Um, I think she got that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, she, I, but I, she didn't uh, get the her Royal Highness part of it that she wanted as part of the title. So I guess that's just like a, an honorary that it only goes to a few very specific of the people at the very top of the royal family. Hmm. Okay. Where did it land, Bubba? It landed on Mark Bolland and his conversation with Camilla in today's light. Talking about PR, having to need PR to just live your life. Any thoughts about this character? The one thing I'll ha- I had, and I'll go ahead and go first, is I didn't see him give any especially great advice in this episode. So I thought... Wait, this is the wonder kid. This this is the wise guy who's gonna you know spit everything perfect. Uh, he didn't know. say I anything. Think going ahead with perfect. the divorce, Bubba, was a pretty di- darn solid piece of advice that he gave. It was it was solid, but it wasn't. You know, I expect brilliant thoughts. You uh-huh. know, brilliant ideas, brilliant spin. Didn't it seem really like the you know it seemed kind of common sense spin? Well, mm-hmm. common sense that nobody there in in the room was having until. I mean, he was, Charles was fighting that tooth and nail. Uh, So uh, simply on the, on the principle of what, you know, what Diana was demanding. Uh, He wasn't even given into the prime minister. The prime minister was basically saying the same thing. Uh, And he said, no, no, uh, no. Uh, He'd just call, he'd just call Camila and complain. That's a triple C. Um, But I was thinking more about, and I'll turn this to you, Susan. Given the fact that Camila actually tells Bolland, you know, that she can't even say the words that she wanted to be queen. And now we know that her title is uh, queen consort, of course, but she's still going to be technically a queen. Um, These were, when you look at how Bolland was saying, you, you know, this is the elephant in the room. This is actually what we need to do. This is why we need to get you out in front of there so that you can do this. Um, do you find Bolland being very for, you know, having foresight in terms of that, or, or do you respect Camila for understanding how delicate that could be? Yeah, I, I looked up a little bit of information about him, like I did with the the BBC guys, to know a little bit more about his background, and they did talk about how he had helped bring her into the public in terms of he orchestrated like the first public event that Charles and Camilla attended and the the first public meeting of Camilla and the Queen and dealt with things like getting people to stop referring to her as Charles' mistress and more as his companion or whatever, you know, tried to take away, you know, these kind of like derogatory terms in which she was viewed. So he did work really hard in some of these areas to make her more acceptable to the public i guess like baba says though we didn't really see any evidence of that in the episode Um, right on the other hand uh we've got a whole season of i'm assuming 10 episodes and we can talk about this in our finale podcast but i just don't know what they're going to cover all right well i am I am the podcast uh, uh, guinea pig in that I haven't even seen episode 10 of this season. And so I haven't seen it, but if they don't come back to Moo Moo and Dottie, Dodie, excuse me, boy, uh, 
I am going to be so frustrated with episode three. I'll never end. I'll never forgive episode three of season five to introduce these characters who have nothing to do with the rest of the season. It's like, oh my goodness gracious. That's my point. I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't spoil you on anything. I'm just saying that there's going to be some interesting choices made for season six based on where they're leaving season five off of. Um, And that's why it makes me wonder how much of this character are we going to actually see? So, the character being Mark Boland? The Kirk, yes, Mark Boland. Yeah. Yeah. I, he, yeah, this might be just a one off. Yeah. Could very well yeah, be. Yeah. He's got to get back to Sandington and ruining that lovely, lovely relationship on PBS. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert for Sandington season two, maybe? I don't know. Spin the wheel, Matt. Spin the wheel. Come on. All go. right. Okay. So this is something that Susan brought up uh, in our leader questions. And that is, the you know, the whole let's visit other couples and see how they are. And Bubba, you expressed a little bit in our initial ratings about how you felt about that. Um, I'll be honest, Susan, your comparison uh, with uh, Harry Met Sally didn't even dawn on me until you brought it up but once you did now i can't unsee that and i'm just sad i'm just very very sad now it's like the the exact opposite of the upliftingness of those little couple stories and when harry met sally now i've got the exact opposite and i'm just down they should have met matt number one for not recognizing the parallel to when harry met sally you might have to go into podcast jail for a bit it's it's pretty blatant and then number two they needed to go the final step they needed to go the final step of diana watching some of these couples getting divorced and saying i'll have what she's having (laughs) or the final wrap-up the final little wrap-up interview with the the with uh, Charles and and uh, uh, Diana sitting down for their little interview, like all the other couples. Oh, yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Well, when we met, it was kind of doomed to that. <laughs> from the beginning, and we lived our um, lives together, doomed, and then we lived our lives to apart, doomed. Oh, but uh, Susan, any other comparison there? Or I mean, how did how did you feel about the approach to this episode? Like I said, Bubba, you you said yours, but Susan, how did you feel about the way this approach did it work for you? Uh, you know, it, it it was okay. I didn't didn't mind it. Um, I was trying to watch the couples and see if there was any common thread between you know, what they were saying in terms of what drove them apart. It seemed like uh, there was an awful lot of uh, the men were too, uh, it seemed like in all the couples that they showed that the men were too involved in their work and the women were wanting them to be more uh, socially involved with their lives. It seemed like that was the situation with almost all of them. So I was wondering if if for some reason they were went that direction. I don't know or not, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And how that relates to Diana, because again, we talked about it earlier, the, the isolationism. Right. That all of these women in these cases uh, are basically suggesting that they feel that they're feeling, uh-huh. you know, so except for the one guy who's just jealous. 
and wants to have a baby. I don't, he's too involved. Yeah. <laughs> well, Matt, <laughs> that's the Matt, other side of Charles. Matt, this wasn't in the episode, but he kind of uh, went up against just my own personal philosophy. And this, uh, a couple of times it felt like in the divorce uh, counseling, they would say, oh, we just grew apart. We just grew apart. And, and a part of me is thinking, you know, people don't, <laughs> my own, one of my own beliefs is that people really don't change that much in their whole lives. And so I'm, I'm thinking when I hear that, I think, no, those issues were probably there at the beginning of their relationships, just like they were with Charles and Diana. And it's that uh, circumstances change to bring out, uh, you know, kind of the natural conflict that was always there, the natural uh, disharmony that would have always been there. So it was interesting hearing that and seeing that. And really, it, it's once again, even though I don't ever believe Charles just showed up at <laughs> Charles just showed up at the palace and is like, hey, let's hang out. Let's talk. Oh, let's get some eggs. That that doesn't feel like something that would really happen. But I think getting these two characters in a room together where they can really kind of talk through things, even if it rehashes old, uh, you know, dis disagreements and incompatibility between them. I thought the show needed it. And so even if it was made up once again, for a television program, I'm glad they did it. For me, just the whole agony of the negotiations and all of that was enough. And it, to me, it felt like that that's all the story that they really needed to tell, but perhaps it wasn't enough for a, an episode. And this was a cute little way to kind of try and tie other things into it just to make the episode longer because I didn't find anything metaphorical or really uh interesting about any of the couples sorry i'm cold i'm heartless i'm an old crone who just waves his cane at the television set but i i, I don't know i could have taken it or left it is my point i suppose you know one observation i had was um about john majors and his marriage because mm -hmm. as as he was having that conversation with his wife about being asked to to uh mediate with uh, Charles and Diana, it seemed like uh, there was some, some issues there between them where she was really, you know, disappointed with him that he wasn't kind of picking up on clues that she wanted him to be spending some time doing something, activities with the family. So it just felt like, okay, here's, here's another marriage that is having issues in this uh, uh, theme of this episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that was one of those things that really stuck out to me as well. The one thing, just bringing up John Major again, the one thing that is, is as an outsider who wasn't uh, living through this real time in history, it really feels like this show has really painted him and admittedly many of the prime ministers in a really flattering light. Yes, he, he I'm glad you mentioned it, Susan. He looks like he's not attentive to the signals his wife is uh, giving out in this episode, but otherwise, you know, they give him that line about, oh, try to look underneath what Charles is trying to say. He's trying to say, be happy, but do it discreetly, you know, or however he phrased it. And it really did. The whole season has painted him in a, in a very positive light. And I find that interesting. I, I really yeah. wonder what his approval ratings were like uh, back then. I have no idea. I know that all of that was completely fictionalized. It didn't occur, according to Radio Times dot com uh the 
other thing that I would say is that as far as Peter Morgan has gone, and remember his all the all of this stuff from the Queen movie to everything else uh, has been based on a play that he did, which was about the relationship between Winston Churchill and the Queen and Queen Elizabeth. And yeah. I'm even forgetting the previous season of The Crown, where it was a very well-rounded, I guess is the one way you could say describe uh, kind of portrayal of Margaret Thatcher. And so yeah. maybe that wasn't all entirely flattering either. So um, as I think back, maybe it hasn't all been uh, sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. No, but I think they've done a great job of including all these different prime ministers and how very different they are in their approaches and personalities and so forth. So I've I've, I've really enjoyed that part of the show. Yeah, they're definitely essential as characters to make this story kind of flow, because if you're just following the queen from day to day, I feel like that's pretty boring. Uh, yeah. Where if you but if you introduce all of these subjects that come with the prime minister or through the prime minister or what have you, then I find the story more dramatically compelling than I would otherwise, I suppose. I know Bubba's all pro, just give me queen 24 seven, but. Well, I just, I, I just love how you, I would love for you to be her personal secretary, you know, just following you by yourself, queen is real boring. Yes. There, there go the downloads in the United Kingdom. You know what? If I was Tommy Lassels, I could say exactly oh, that and nothing would be said. Gracious. Hater. I could look straight down my nose at, at the queen and say, you're boring. And that's the way you should be. Let me take care of the rest. Uh, that's what Tommy Lassels did. Come on. Uh, anything else on this subject? No. Do we have a parliamentary debate for this episode? Yes, we do. Matt, you're supposed to read it because Susan and I. That's right. You and Susan have to debate it. So I'm going to try and read this question. Um, and this is this is probably the most important question that we'll ask all day. What is more difficult? To ask the same questions and make the same declarations case after case day after day or to have to wear a powdered judicial wig for more than two hours straight <laughs> susan uh, i get to i get to pick, get to pick. um which is more difficult well it, uh, i'll have to go with the the questions and declarations because i'm sure that that can get pretty tedious with these hundreds and i guess as even the show said thousands of thousands of divorces that are have gone on before and after Charles and Diana's. So I'm sure that that can be a pretty uh, uh, dull and tedious activity for someone who, uh, you know, spent their life maybe learning to get involved in the law, probably wanted something a little bit more uh, glamorous and interesting to be dealing with than these mundane divorce cases. I wanted there to be a dramatic pause after that so people could just think to themselves, tut, tut, looks like a <laughs> failed argument. No. Oh, no. You think it's, you think, oh, it's so difficult to ask the same question and make the same declaration day after day. Have you not been listening to this podcast? Matt has been asking you to like and tweet and subscribe like constantly in this podcast. Forget day after day and look at how robust and alive he is. No, he, he makes it look fun. And so obviously it's much more difficult to wear a powdered wig. Think of it powdered. 
what have you looked at powders in our world recently? Talcum powder can kill you. Just ask John Stossel. I mean, you've got danger in your wig. And I don't mean WHIG as some of the former leaders of the of the <laughs> England were. I'm saying powdered wigs. So for two hours straight, you accidentally cough and then more dust falls out of your wig and then you cough again. That is tough. The lungs are an important part of a human body. Just ask anybody without any lungs. <laughs> They won't be able to respond. So obviously wearing a powdered wig for more than two hours. I mean, we're talking, we're talking like, you know, this is, this is England. You probably have to work 12 hours straight just to be able to, so you don't have to work in the coal mine. So I say that is more difficult than asking the same question every day. Well, I talked about doing the same thing every time. And here I do it again. We're going to put this poll up on the Twitter at LilibetPod on Twitter, L I L I Bet Pod on Twitter. You'd be amazed how many times I screw that wording up and have to edit myself. Also, Matt's audio blog at gmail.com if you have any thoughts about this or about any of these episodes. We do want you to get your feedback to us by February 6th, 2023, in order to be included in our contest where you could win one of four fabulous books. There's a double F in there somewhere. Sorry, Santa Claus, Indiana. But the whole idea of just you submitting feedback and telling me how wrong I am about everything thrills me. It really does. It thrills me. It gives me great pleasure to read your hate or your love for Bubba or Susan, who do fabulously on this podcast. So be sure to tweet at LittleBitPod, send emails to mattsartyblog at gmail.com. Leave comments on those YouTube videos, because we gather that information as well, and we can include you in the contest from there. Find all of the videos, all of the great podcasts that Double P Media does in one single spot. How cool is that? It's the YouTube video channel, youtube.com slash c slash the word double the letter p the word media by the way folks. okay hearing matt do that i think you were right susan it is more difficult i was just gonna say that <laughs> uh, uh here's your history notes for season five episode nine couple 31 Here are your history notes for Season 5, Episode 9, Couple 31. In real life, Diana was reported to have agreed to divorce Charles in February of 1996, with a final agreement then reached on August 28, 1996. Diana was granted a financial settlement and retained both of her apartments at Kensington Palace and her title of the Princess of Wales. In exchange, she gave up her use of the title Her Royal Highness, and relinquished any future claim to the throne. Prime Minister John Major's involvement in the couple's divorce proceedings in 1996 appears to have been entirely fictionalized. Sources, radiotimes.com and townandcountrymag.com. Mark Bolin, just 30 years old at the time, was tasked with rehabilitating Charles's public image and his highly publicized and polarizing divorce from Princess Diana, 
At the center of the scandalous breakup was Camila Parker Bowles, who the so-called, quote, spin doctor worked tirelessly and allegedly at the expense of some other royals to bring her into the good graces of the public, who largely saw her as the, quote, other woman. Source, bustle.com. Everybody has survived me talking through yet another podcast. They've tolerated. They've even listened. Maybe they've never, they've never agreed, but they've at least listened. And I appreciate that. Uh, Any final thoughts about these three episodes, Susan? You know, I did share a couple of articles with you, but I think I'm going to hold off on those. Um, And if you want me to come back for the finale, I'll, think they might be more appropriate for discussion at that time okay there we go uh we will uh save those then uh you will find any links that we talk about in the history notes or wherever else in our show notes so be sure to check those out uh if you're somebody who's interested in that information and bubba any other uh final thoughts about these episodes well, I just want to focus on these episodes because it has been such a thrill. I really hope, listeners, you don't mind listening to somebody who doesn't know a lot of this history or facts or almost is trying to remove them from my enjoyment of the show so I can just uh, judge the show as a piece of entertainment, a work of art. And I've really enjoyed these last six episodes oh so much. I can't wait to find out how the seasons end, how the season is going to put a bow on it. The, the season, to me, always seemed to end in almost like a family gathering and a family portrait. And can you have that when an important member of the family, such as Princess Diana, is no longer a part of it? I can't wait to talk about it on the next podcast. So, Matt, hey, I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. We will be back again for one more episode where we will discuss the finale give our final season thoughts and look forward to the season six and draw four winners of our contest. We'll see you next time on podcast a little bit.